0: Mansplanation is a show about two men trying to break free from the prison of toxic masculinity. They offer no professional advice or suggestion. They will occasionally use adult language and will often discuss examples of violence and malicious behavior, so parental guidance is recommended.
1: 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, zero. I got it. target so a
0: good one. Welcome to Man's Nation, a talk show about our mistakes as men and what we're trying to do to make ourselves better. I am Tim. I'm Todd. Now we can now we can just talk and pretend like this is a real show. Hey Tim. <laughs> hey Todd.
1: What's been bumming you out this week? Oh.
0: Whole- you going you going straight for it. No small talk. Straight
1: for the jugular. Come on.
0: So, uh <laughs> I haven't really come up with a way to phrase it. Uh, appraising other people's appearance in a negative way. Ooh, okay. And I think this What's is that? something we all do, right? Like, I, th- I, th- I would agree with that, yeah. That sort of instinct. I mean, it's just general judgment, right? Like that sort of instinct to judge another person or, yeah.
1: I think it's something that's rooted in our own insecurities about ourselves and what we may or may not be doing. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's something that typically every person does.
0: Yeah, and specific, specifically the thing where, where I'm drawing the bumming thing is is uh, people who do this about Michelle Obama's arms. Oh, man, really? Uh, and, that's still happening? Oh, yeah. <sighs> like the criticism of Michelle Obama is what – Bums me out, which is my topic for this week. Um throughout the show, whenever you ask me a question, my answer will be um Michelle Obama.
1: Got it. But not because Michelle Obama is a specific type of person. It's because people are hating on Michelle Obama without really a good reason.
0: Yeah. Um What's bumming you out this week before we dig any deeper?
1: Ooh, mine's gonna mine's gonna get dark and deep, man. <laughs> um, sorry.
0: I know. This might be a bad idea, but we're going to, we're going to explore the bad idea, but go ahead. What's, what's the.
1: So right now I'm a social worker and I work with the homeless population throughout my career. I've worked law enforcement. I've, I've worked social work and just one of the things that kind of comes with the territory is that people just die. Um, and I had a vet die this weekend. It's it's kind of weighing you down a bit. What I typically try to do in a situation like this is be grateful that I was able to do something with this person. He was street homeless when he came to us, and he he died with a roof over his head and on his bed, which I was instrumental in getting both of those things for him. When I get back to work on Tuesday, it's going to be uh, trying to locate his family and give them the unfortunate news. But uh, it's uh, it's one of those things. That it's this is my third one that's happened in three years, and each one's been a very different situation. And yeah, it's it's one of those. I don't I don't think I'm ever really gonna get good with it. Obviously, but uh, it it makes me think about how we treat people. Um, just, I mean, I'm not a veteran and not going to lie, Part a lot of times I kind of wish that I was. There's a safety net that I think that if you're a veteran and you get into the departments of Veterans Affairs that you have, whether it's healthcare, whether it's I see loans, whether it's educational yeah. grants, or whether it's just kind of like you've... You fall through every conceivable crack and you go homeless. There's a a part of the VA that will help you out there. Not that these people didn't earn it. They definitely did. I mean, I think anybody that signs the proverbial blank check to and joins our nation's military has earned that. It's One of the things I often think about is that if you don't serve, then this is something that's not afforded to you. And I I really wish that in our country it was.
0: Well, sorry. Thanks. That you're going through that right now, especially at work. And that's... Right, but it's funny because talking to you, you uh, the thing you said, you said like oh, I'm never gonna get used to it. It's interesting because I, I smiled there because thinking about you in terms of other people, I remember when you talked about you know when you worked for um, child youth services, uh, same thing. You were like, oh, the I'll I'll never get used to the the failures and the hard part, but like the the when the victories do come, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Right. I think the thing you'll never get over is the thing, right. That the human condition of this is a, this is a sad, rough thing that you're, mm-hmm. you're dealing with. Um, even though there you, you're able to do your job, right? Like you're able to let it kind of be part of your job. Yeah. It doesn't get to you in, in that sense, which oh, I, it absolutely
1: that, gets to me. It's not like I, I was thinking today, like i I've, I've a good friend, who's dating a nurse who works, um, oh man, I'm drawing a blank, uh, end of life care, hospice. Yeah, hospice, okay. Okay, and, and she's good, but daily, day-to-day is death. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I wouldn't want to speak for her and say, okay, she's gotten used to it, but I think when you have something become your daily, okay, it's Tuesday, somebody's going right. to die, then I think you get a maybe a little bit more accustomed to it than I am, which right. I would say in, man, I've been doing this some way, shape, or form since- 99 so going on 20 years mm-hmm. which is depressing enough to say out loud <laughs> but um I, i've probably had about 12 to 15 deaths that i know of so i mean it's like one of those things i know it's going to happen i don't know when i don't know how i don't know and it, it's it, each one of them suck
0: it, and it yeah it, i have a lot of thoughts on this and i can't really I don't, i'm gonna have to come back to it sure over the f- future weeks. Um but yeah, it it what I'm trying to say about it, it's shades and degrees of your example, right? Like, because to get over it is to is to kind of fit that classic definition of being a sociopath, right? I think if it's if it's something that doesn't affect you in any way, hmm. but right, I I, I don't I want to come back to it. I don't sure. want to I don't want to stick on that because you also said about you having. Wished or regret not having served as in, in right served in the military or
1: yeah yeah
0: the, the your reason for it oh I'm missing out on a safety net now part of it right you mm. clarified at the end that was part of it. it 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 was yeah you were tying up that it not that it's only veterans who deserve this safety net you know if he, you believe that social safety net is a is a right as a yes. citizen's right. I think a human right don't right mm-hmm. this the, these are services that I could have had um and that current right like currently in my life, I would have access if I had served well it,
1: it, if I could just straighten one thing out first and foremost i when I think about like i i when I did the peace Corps, I think that grew me up a lot, mm-hmm. and then when I worked law enforcement, I think that also grew me up a lot and pretty quickly. And I think that if I would have done, say, the army or something like that, I think it would have been exponentially. And I think it would have been a much more mature person, a much more eyes open person earlier in my life mm-hmm. than what I was. So that, that's the first and foremost thing. And then the, the safety net again, I mean, I'm going to sound a little terrible for saying this, but part of me as a person who has served my country overseas, but not in a military aspect mm-hmm. and somebody yeah. who has carried a gun in protection of my community. But again, not in a military act capacity. Yeah. I am not afforded the the safety net yet. Someone who yeah. did serve, you know, they they do get this.
0: I think about this problem a lot and think about this after- how we fetishize, especially in the United States, how we fetishize the military and soldiers, um, and how that's a holdover from European cult. right? Like that that there's it's a very deep historical complex issue that spans centuries if not all of human history and it currently expresses itself in the united states of well we currently do have a lot of social welfare programs and institutions set up but they are specific specifically for the military and veterans and again right like you said first and foremost and i'm like yeah of course they do deserve that but we we both believe at some level all human beings yeah deserve it at some level and that there are people who have done service for the country, the United States, who are not considered veterans right, and thus do not, are not entitled to these programs. Um, yeah, I, this is, and this is, this is a piece that I think goes into what I'm bringing to the table this week, which is Michelle Obama. Um, and that's... <laughs> I felt I felt fun fun like mischievous bringing this to the table this week because I was like oh uh, looking at this guy David Goggins his Instagram there's stuff I agree with there's stuff I disagree with but oh ov- overall he's a role model and a inspirational type person right like that's what he seeks to yes. do and so I was listening to a story about um michelle obama and whenever i think about michelle michelle obama i get very happy because she is that person for me um she speaks that like right you were saying about this guy is like oh you look at this guy and you're like oh i need to do the work yeah. i can't have that candy bar i i'm not doing enough and when i see not only what how her character has been assassinated over and over and over again yes. by conservatives and the right wing, um, what she did for her and her family and for the country for those eight years. Like, it's like, I don't, I don't work hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: she, she's a, for me, she's a little bit different. Like, A, she, I don't work hard enough. And B, if I did work as hard as her, it sure as hell wouldn't be with the level of grace that she brings to the table. Um. Well, okay, so I, I was thinking about, yeah, I mean, there, there, I think there were a couple things. Um. So Aziz Ansari uh, did a set at the Comedy Cellar this week. And as we all know, Aziz Ansari is somebody who has been, uh, has an accusation that uh, he was very forcible with a date in having sex. Very coercive, very pleading, very... By, by any accounts, not appropriate. And he he did a measure of addressing it that I, I'm hopeful will kind of lead us to a better discussion. Uh, he, he didn't go into Louis C.K. territory. He's not ignoring it completely, not going right wing. He did address that this is a conversation that needs to happen. He said that he talked to a friend about it um, before it became public. And his friend said, was very quiet for a period. He's like, are you judging me? And his friend replied, I'm judging myself because now I'm using what you've just described to me as a filter for every date that I've been on. Have yeah. I been a good person or have I done what you've done? Am I not going to get called out on my shit because I'm not famous, but it's still there? And this is something that I need to be aware of. Right. The fact that as, and sorry, brought that to the table, I'm, I'm hopeful that he will continue with this discussion and something good can come out of a bad thing. Um,
0: right, es- essentially, being becoming better. Right. Um, yeah. I being mean, like, oh, I did hurt someone, and not only was this behavior like that, I think is just natural and acceptable, actually harmful and unacceptable. How have I been acting this way in my life? I think. I think you mentioned. It recently about, um, right, you having, you looking back at old girlfriends yes. and being horrified by the way you treated them. Yeah.
1: And, and I'd like to say I don't have any like capital B bad things, you know, but right. I can definitely right. tell you some really immature, shitty things that I've done. And I, I've gone back and I've apologized to those girls and most of them have accepted my apologies.
0: Uh, right. No, no one was, um, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Go away. I mean, I'm sure there was that.
1: Yeah, actually there was, it was just like, I, I remember the one girl I apologized to and she's like, it's kind of funny because not only do I not remember the thing that you said, but I've been thinking a lot about some of the things that I said in turn. And these are the things that I would like to apologize for. And then that it was like, well, you were reacting to a really shitty guy. So you get a pass on that. But don't worry.
0: <laughs> And, and, um, we haven't, talked about this this at all over the weeks we've been recording and doing this Mm -hmm. um but yeah uh, the chris hardwick scenario or if you want to call it that but i don't um i don't know how that that sort of thing that's a real
1: complicated one for me
0: yeah i mean that to me that's like oh this is was a complicated bad relationship
1: for me it might be the most complicated one of them all
0: and and i think it it and and specifically just like, right, like applying it to your stories and, you know, you're trying to own your own shit. Mm-hmm. Most, I would say everyone has that, right? Like everyone has something in their life that they, by definition, did stuff that was immature, did stuff that was dumb, risky, harmful to, to themselves or others. There's not only two sides to every story. There are... 100 stories to every side mm-hmm. right well said <laughs> thank you i think again to go back to being the type of person who is open to being better and having to change not only be better but be the best person in the room because you are an outsider in every way michelle obama <laughs> if she ever had to own up to the stuff that even her husband, an African-American man, you know, having been a dumb college kid and, you know, his history with cocaine and weed, mm-hmm. um, I think there's there, there's the, uh, the Key and Peel sketch, which yeah. is Obama, like, in college, like, giving this rousing speech that's then about a party, mm-hmm. kind of parodying that. Like, Michelle Obama has none of that, because she had to be such a perfect person, right? Yeah. Like she had to in every I don't wanna say like live a pure life, but because she had her own ambitions, right? She um
1: She had to put her life on hold effectively.
0: Uh the whole you you know, anything you can do, I can do better. For more it was like anything you can do, I have to do better. Mm-mm. Have because I also have ambitions to be a lawyer and go to Harvard Law School and go to Princeton. Um, a podcast that I really like uh, talked about her memoir autobiography Becoming that I am currently three hundred and first on a waiting list for at the library, so hopefully I will read. But it there's there's a there's a, the story of essentially how a college. High school college counselor, someone who counsels high school students about college, uh, told her that she she shouldn't even think about applying to Princeton. Damn, black girl from Chicago doesn't matter how good you know she wouldn't write. It was like, oh, you wouldn't be able to afford it anyway, kind of thing. Like not only is she held up as um, inspirational, a a leader in terms of how we think about race and how we think about being a woman. She was also like, she's also became a fashion icon. Definitely. Like that's something that she had to do Um because somehow that's uh the first lady's responsibility is to dress, dress very well.
1: She's, she's got to be brilliant. I mean, she's got to be what, what the old saying about Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. She's got to be able to do everything he can do but in reverse and while wearing heels.
0: And twice as fast, I think, right? Like that's the, yeah, yeah, exactly. The In the, in the book, she talks about um, President Obama, like his biggest decision was no jacket or jacket, no tie or tie, mm-hmm. what tie?
1: Do I wear the brown suit?
0: Shirts, <laughs> sleeves rolled up, sleeves rolled down. And for her, it was, she had to spend more money than she ever had like had ever spent on clothes for her her and her daughters and how shocking it was to her and was it at it was at the 2016 DNC when she talked about you know everyday morning waking up in a house built by slaves yeah. Yeah. like how much she had to wrestle with that like the amount of money she was spending on clothes the the history of slavery that she was being a part of, but had to be to work on it.
1: So at about 2014, when I first became aware of Breitbart News, uh, I was working in law enforcement. I was the token liberal in the office. And most people Mm. would say Todd was the quote unquote, the good liberal, meaning that you could talk to me. I would talk back. I would challenge you, but I wasn't going to, I guess, scream at you or, you know, call you a racist, a fascist, anything like that. I'd actually take the time to Listen to people. But I remember talking to one guy who I liked a lot up until that point. And he he said, well, you know, the thing about Michelle Obama, she is a transgendered person. Jesus. And it's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then he showed me the article from... Bart News that said, based on the size of her biceps, clearly she is a preoperative transgendered person. And I remember like trying to have the argument with that person, but ultimately giving up, just like, I don't know if I can convince you that she is a woman. And just thinking, I remember walking away thinking to myself, my God, this woman can't even go to the gym and work out without being attacked for her decision to be fit.
0: That's, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago last week. I don't remember. One of the complex reasons I deleted my Facebook was to get away from that shit yeah. that kept popping up because of people I, you know, friends of friends, family members, and who post that kind of Fox news stuff that still exists. And whenever I would see it, I would guess I have a, I would get bummed out. Um, I have a picture of Michelle Obama on my phone because I like started dreaming about just like mail bombing these people pictures of her
1: and to be fair, when you say mail bombing, you mean just blowing up their inbox with pictures like of a
0: glitter, Obama. like a glitter bomb. okay,
1: no no no, no actual <laughs> explosives or anything like that. no worth saying no it is two thousand nineteen
0: It is two thousand nineteen um the thing that blows my mind about that kind of trying to trying to come up with any any story or any narrative that isn't just explicitly well she's a black woman and I've been trained to hate black women mm-hmm. right um, because that's really all I hear <laughs> any any story any anything that criticizes her as a person as a being you know not talking about her politics not talking about, her ideas really just, you know, going at her, it, at, at its heart is, well, yeah, it's because you, we as a culture have been trained to vilify Black women yeah. and, and their bodies. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you will find any way that lets you say that without saying it, right? Yeah. The, the big thing that she had to deal with when the 2008 campaign started was a paper she had written at Princeton um, that she had to do a lot of, like, the, I, I just remember, right, like, the Drudge Report and Breitbart were holding it up about, it, it was, was that the New Yorker article where they dressed her up as a, they, they dressed her and Obama up as, like, Muslim Brotherhood terrorists fist bumping? Fist bumping. Together, yeah, yeah. Because that that was something people were waving around as evidence that they were part of the weather underground using all that bill ayers ties tied stuff but um she you know going back to like how she wrestled with that ambition of being the best first lady but also being now a representative of this uh you know racist institution that is that those parts of the u.s government it was going back to that feeling was when when she wanted to go up you know grow up as a teenager she her her life was i'm going to change the system mm-hmm. the system's corrupt and broken and that's sort of uh, what i remember is what whatever this thesis paper from princeton was sort of about was how broken the system is and it can't be fixed so we just need to tear it down and start a new new system and then in college she realized no the only way for me to effectively like to be most effective for myself and other people to feel that I've lived a good life is to work in the system because that's really the only way to help people right. and affect change. Like that, ki- that realization.
1: If you don't have a di- uh, place at the table, then you're on the menu.
0: Do you know when I say the words lean in? Yeah. Do they bring anything mm-hmm. up? For those of you out there who don't, Lean In is a mantra of U.S. business person Cheryl Sandberg, currently COO of Facebook. She wrote a book called Lean In. It was essentially about women can't be women, that kind of style of feminism. It's like to be taken seriously, you just have to be aggressive and take your seat at the table and, and roll with the punches. And find the way to take your seat at the table. And Michelle Obama ha- is noteworthy for being like that is your experience and does not apply to most other people, especially women of color. It's not. It's not equal. It, it, it's not just enough for most of us to demand our seat because people will laugh at like will laugh at you and kick you out and say no you, you know there the, there are expectations placed on women that are not placed on men. right essentially is what I'm getting at, right. Mm-hmm.
1: And then when you compound that with there's expectations that are placed on a person of color that aren't based on a, a person, a white person. yeah, I mean you have a couple things working on you there. It's having two different decks of cards stacked against you. It's another thing I think about some is, you know the the guys that have done these things. What do we do with them then? I mean, somebody like a Harvey Weinstein, we we can incarcerate him. That, that's fine. He he doesn't need to be walking around anymore.
0: The guy, what? <laughs> somebody who comes at Michelle Obama's arms. What do we do uh, about
1: him? I am hopeful that after the twenty twenty election, there is going to be a spotlight on all of these people who have said racist things sexist things and and worse than that, you know, racist actions, sexist actions, and they can be held accountable instead of being given a pass and they will have to adjust and address their behavior. Um, In regards to the governor and attorney general of Virginia, one of the things I've frequently heard is it's not enough that they apologize. Hmm. They they got their jobs through the black vote. What they need to do is hold themselves accountable and go to the black community and say, right. these are the ways that I intend on making your lives better. Yeah. Now that you got me here and put me in this position, I will own my past, I will own my shit, and I will use my power to better your future.
0: Well, yeah. One of the best things I heard, and I forget where, the, the reason why a lot of people are like, and I can't, Northam mm-hmm. should, should resign, especially in black voters, is had he- in the campaign or early on said hey this is in my past essentially coming for and being upfront about it before a story broke yeah i did blackface at a michael jackson concert and i understand why it was wrong and this is how i've changed my behavior mm-hmm. and instead now like it's just like oh yeah it's just another white person being a white person yeah and having to kind of lamely apologize for it. And I think uh, Louis C.K. is kind of an extreme, but Aziz Ansari is a good example of, yeah, that was a, a guy being a guy and now he has to apologize for it when he's called out about it. But we are now in this culture of th- the best thing for you to do is own your mistake. Yes.
1: None of and, us are without mistake.
0: Yeah. Um, and not try to excuse it or dismiss it as, oh, it was a dumb thing I did before and it's like well if it was just a dumb thing you did before no no one would care right the fact that there are people who care that you did this thing and are showing it's like this is why it's hurtful and it comes back to yeah this we don't have enough time to talk about michelle obama and blackface and yeah women's bodies that way but yeah uh because i have recently yeah you know because of the stuff in virginia there's been a lot of discussion articles and talk about the history of blackface Mm -hmm. you know specifically subjugating women uh, women of color and their bodies what's getting you through this week
1: Something that's been getting me through is probably going to be one of my top five albums of all time. You put me on a desert island and I have this, one of these. If this is one of the five albums I have, then I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Dilla's Donuts. Okay. I, I first of all, I really kind of respect the art in that he is taking forgotten, discarded music and creating some things that is much more than the sum of his parts with it. And when he did it, is something that floors me. Uh, first of all, if you if you haven't listened. to The album, and you're a fan of hip hop, do so. Jay Dilla's Donuts. It's a wonderful instrumental album, and likely you've heard uh parts of it sampled in Adult Swim or uh Wu-Tang Clan, the Roots. A lot of people have used this in their
0: background.
1: he also did it while he was dying. He was dying of lupus and uh, another disease I'm not even gonna try to pronounce. It was a blood disease and it was basically a death sentence. It was a slow, painful death that took his legs, it took his hands. When he was in the hospital, he had people bring him crates of records. They would bring him you know, dozens of crates and he would look through them and say, there's nothing good here, I need perfection. And he pieced an album out from his hospital bed. It's probably only about 42 minutes along, but every moment of it is genius. And hmm. he released it three days before he died. And I think my favorite part about it is the name, Donuts. It's, there, there were two interviews that were done post, posthumously, one from his record label, one from his uh, mother. And uh, the record label said, just Donuts are awesome. That's why he named it that. And then his mother expanded upon it saying, this was one of his favorite foods. This is just one of those things that he enjoyed eating and it made him happy. That's all. You can listen to this. You can be happy. You can go about your day. And yeah, if I'm in the car and it's been kind of a rough day or I just need to kind of listen to something, I'll put on, my go-to track on that album is Stop, but really I can hit random and be very happy with where I landed. Hmm. So that's what's been getting me through.
0: Oh, that's that made me feel real good. That was very beautiful and well said. Thank you. I, um, what
1: about you, Tim? What's been getting you through?
0: Michelle Obama. Yeah, I hear you. New York Times has a culture podcast called Still Processing, uh, one of my favorite shows. I I recently got turned on to it. They're culture writers, Jenna Wortham and Wesley Morris. Anything I... If I need to think, have an opinion about anything, I will just listen to their opinion. They don't they don't specifically focus on um, any one thing in culture, but they do try to focus each episode on black or African American culture. Uh, their episode this week was about was about Michelle Obama, about the book, and specifically about the book tour and how it was how the book tour for becoming was kind of treated like a like like stadium rock but right like they did an episode recently about apology you know when you talk about Louis CK or Aziz Ansari or Governor Northam and you know it mattering that the apology be sincere they they go back to like essentially Socrates, and the Greek word apologia, which was essentially hashtag sorry, not sorry. It was a statement that you had to make, right? even though you didn't really mean it.
1: I'm sorry if anyone was offended. It's one of those yeah.
0: things. Like it still means, that, and it's still kind of that same thing, even though that's not what we want it to be or what it needs to be. Hmm. Right. It, it is more just a public declaration of. I fucked up, now we should move on, right? Like that classic, you know, I just think of Anthony Weiner constantly having to do it. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, geez, can't people just get over this already? Yeah,
1: And at the same it's time, like, Anthony Weiner, can you please stop showing people your dick?
0: <laughs> that was Carlos Danger oh, that
1: yeah, did that. That's him. In my house, we kind of follow the uh, Daniel Tiger rule. Okay. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Daniel Tiger is a uh, cartoon on PBS. It's a spinoff of... a. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, it's Daniel Striped Tiger's family and his son, who's the narrator. And his personal rule on there is, if you make a mistake, two things, you say you're sorry, and then you make it better. I think one of the things that we do a lot in this culture is we say we're sorry and then expect the world to move on. Because we said we're sorry, but you have to do more than that. And uh, it kind of goes back to what I was saying. Uh, Zeez sorry, said he's sorry, and it looks like he's trying to move the conversation forward. It would be good if Governor Governor Northam would make a sincere, heartfelt apology, one that does not involve him potentially moonwalking, and then say what he plans to do for the black community, for minority communities in his jurisdiction, to make their lives better.
0: <laughs> I I was lost in this thought of really the the thing that gets me through got me through this week is knowing that we would talk today.
1: I enjoy this, Tim. Thanks,
0: Sunday. I I and I was like I thought I had written it down somewhere but there was something specifically like oh I need to talk we need to talk about this now I don't even care if we record it and of course I can't find my note fiscal responsibility no that's not right I just have is pain good but we talk about that every week yeah just generally what happened this week oh the emergency yeah the national emergency
1: can I just say real quick in a weird way I'm kind of excited about it <laughs>
0: Because of, because of how we're gonna see the government operate, like the suits, and the like the like the constitutional ramifications of it. Here's my thing
1: on it. So I think we have two possible situations, two likely situations. Number one. He declares a state of emergency. It's challenged in court. And then after a couple years of battling it out in the court, it's either going to go through or not go through. If it goes through, hopefully it'll be around 2020 and we can vote him out of office. And then at that point, now that it's precedent, President Harris, President Booker, whoever the next president would be, and hopefully their Democratic (laughs) one can say, okay, if this is something we can do, then I'm saying we're having Medicare for all, we're having a Green New Deal. We're, the environment is now a national emergency. And then we can actually do something. And then the other side of the coin is if it doesn't go through, then he's taken two years of his presidency to focus on a non-issue that has no resolution and hopefully keeps him occupied from fucking up something else big.
0: Good. Yeah. Both things, uh, um, uh, yeah. Essentially, we either decide... Uh, so your answer, yeah, your answer was yes to the constitutional <laughs> ramifications of it. And you explained why. Thank you. No problem. Um, but yeah, we're essentially deciding now, uh, is, is this, is our constitutional democracy actually kind of leaning more towards, yeah, but the, but the president is a way for the people to elect someone who will just say, these are the things the country wants to do. Essentially be a, an you know, kind of a presidential autocracy. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, no, these are these are the emergencies that we need to take care of right away. Right. Um, because we because we are in a state of emergency. I forget what the specific ones are, but there's some, there are two that are holdover from Obama because Obama did this, right? Like this is a power the presidents have used and it hasn't really gone checked before. Um, it's it's the reason why leading up to election night 2016 um the practical part of me was like oh, i'm super excited if if trump becomes president because this stuff is going to happen like we're living out now we're going to have to decide as a country um do we what powers do we allow the president to have what powers do we allow congress to have how do we run elections mm-hmm. um yeah all, all of this is is gonna is gonna finally be we're not going to finally deal with it but we're going to now recognize how important it is yeah okay well thank you todd thank you tim we generally kind of do and 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 we get it in the edit as i like to say we'll have a good night do you want to say goodbye to the listeners yeah
1: everybody out there listening thank you for listening uh If you have anything that you'd like to come at us with, uh, if you'd like to talk to us about something, have us address something, or uh, call us out on something, please do. We're more than willing to listen, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening, though, and Have a great night.
0: Thank you to the artist Culler for the use of our theme song, Freed from Greed, off the album Trinity. You can listen to more of their music at at Culler.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot, a period, com, C-O-M. As always, don't put yourself in a box.